Hello and welcome to episode 47 of The Game Pit. My name's Ronan and there's no Sean. As most of you are probably aware, we have had a break of a couple of months and Sean has not been in the best of health. He keeps on catching bronchitis and every time he's on the road to recovery and his voice comes back from being croaky, we plan on recording and then he's gone and caught it again. I don't know what he's been doing, but he is well on the mend now. You are going to hear from him later on in the episode. We are taking part in the Dice Tower competition for the network in which you're going to be able to win vouchers for Cool Stuff Inc., One of our listeners is going to win $50. All the winners from across the network are going to be put into the hat and going to be part of a draw. And one of those winners is going to win a $500 voucher. So listen later, halfway through, Sean's going to cut in. You'll hear from him. He is alive and well. He is coming back. We will be back to recording properly soon. And you're going to get a chance to win some games as well with your voucher. So looking forward to that. So it has been two months and we are well aware and we really haven't wanted to leave it this long. So we thought we'd better pop something out for you and for ourselves because it feels like we used to have a podcast and we haven't had one for a little while. In this episode, since I'm flying solo, I thought I'd take that theme and run with it. And I'm just going to do a quick pit fight on solo games. So in our pit fight format, we take a bunch of games that have something in common. In this case, obviously, it's solo playability. We just talk through them quickly and then we compare and contrast them in certain fields and come out with one winner, which is our favourite. In this case, you're going to be stuck with just my favourite solo game. I'd really love to hear from everyone else as to whether you play solo. If you've got a favourite solo game, maybe I can try out and compare it to the three I'm going to be going over. But in the episode, you're going to be hearing from me with regards to Friday, Sylvian and The Lord of the Rings, the card game all soloable card games with some things in common and obviously some differences and we're going to be exploring that as we go through all that's left to say in the intro is thank you for your patience thanks for waiting for us we will be having more episodes be coming out very very soon the game pit is now available on stitcher for the first time as well as itunes and podbean as ever of course you can go to dicetowernetwork.com to catch all our episodes and other great episodes we're on 2d6.org and i really hope you enjoy this unusual solo episode So the first game I'm going to run through briefly is Friday. It's a 2011 release designed by Freedom and Freese, famous for Power Grid and Copycat and the upcoming 504. It was published by Rio Grande Games and it's got a published playtime of 25 minutes. That's pretty much accurate. The story in Friday is you are Friday and you are living on your island and Robinson Crusoe washes up on the shore. And Robinson Crusoe, to be honest, is pretty useless. He cannot survive by himself. It's up to you to train him up, keep him alive, and then get him trained enough to get past the pirates to get off your island and get him on his way and keep you in peace. Now, Robinson himself is represented initially by a deck of cards, and they have values of 2, 1, 0, and minus 1. And these are the values which illustrate their use to you and Robinson in overcoming the hazards you're going to face on the island. Robinson also starts with 20 life 
if he should ever dip below zero life, so being on zero is okay, if you have to lose one more, then you'll lose the game. There are three other decks of cards that come with this. First is the Pirates. Now, that's the end goal. The game's going to go through three phases, which we'll discuss, and at the end of the third phase, as Robinson, you're going to face two pirate ships, and they have different levels of challenge, and if you defeat those pirates as the ultimate hazards in the game, then you are successful. I've mentioned hazards. Well, there's a deck of hazard cards. And the main process of the game is flipping over these cards, seeing if you can overcome the challenges, or indeed not, and sometimes deliberately not, which will help you thin your deck, and making decisions which hazards to encounter. And the third deck of cards that's going to interact with your starting Robinson Crusoe deck is your aging cards, which they're going to hamper Robinson Crusoe. As the game goes on, he's going to be getting a little bit older, his body's going to be failing, and it's illustrated really simply with just some negative cards, which are going to come into your deck and really slow you down. How do you play the game? Well, like I said, there are three phases, and they're simply green, yellow, and red, which means the game gets harder as you go through. You're going to have to improve your deck and build it up in order to be successful. On each turn, you take the top two hazard cards from the hazard deck, and you flip them over. They will have numbers in three colours for the green, yellow and red depending on which phase you're in and they will ascend. That will be the challenge level. That will be the level you will have to achieve by playing your cards from your deck in order to win the challenge. There's also going to be a number on there which tells you how many free cards you're going to be able to flip over to take on this hazard. The other thing they have on the bottom half is if you overcome those hazards you're going to be able to take that card and put it in your discard pile and it will become part of your deck and that's how you deck build so they are both hazardous to you and then if you can overcome them they will become beneficial to you and on that beneficial level they're going to have a fight level like I said you start with two, one, zero, minus 1 obviously these are going to be hopefully a bit better they go up as far as 4 and they all have names so 4 will be weapons strictly that's what you've found, you've discovered how to make weapons. And other ones have got different special effects. They'll let you draw extra cards. They might be food cards that will give you extra life. There'll be cards that let you exchange cards in and out of those in play to those in your deck. Or even let you destroy cards. So those aging cards are going to come into your deck. And there's certain cards that let you destroy those. Constantly thinning your deck, improving it, sharpening it up for the challenges ahead in the red level. And in those pirates at the end of the game. So... From the two cards you've drawn, you choose to take one on, again depending upon what the threat level on it is and what benefit it's going to give you if you win it. You then the free card number that's on that card, you can draw up to those cards for free. And you simply flip them over and you can stop any time you want. So if the hazard says draw three cards, I can carry on drawing and let's say the hazard level and the green level is two and I draw out and I I draw one, a minus one and a zero. I'm still on zero. Now I can stop there. I failed the challenge. Because I've got a zero sum and the challenge level is two, I would lose two life. What I could also do though is I can pay one life to draw another card. And that goes on the right hand side of the challenge cards. You kind of keep things straight. And that might give me a one say. Now my level's one, the challenge level's two. I'm still losing. I could pay another life out of my starting 20 in order to draw another card. And I can decide whether to keep pushing to attempt to defeat the challenge because maybe I really want that beneficial card in my deck. Or maybe I actually deliberately want to lose because if you lose, that's when you can do... Winning is clearly your deck building. You're getting better cards. When you lose, your deck breaking. The amount of life I lose according to the challenge, let's say I missed out on the challenge by, by three life, okay? I have to hand that life in, 
But for every one life I hand in, I can get rid of one normal card that I've played against the challenge. If those minus ones you start with, for each life you lose, if there's a minus one in play, you can just get rid of it. Throw it out, it's not in the game anymore. The aging cards, which are worse for you, they cost two life to get rid of. And the game is very much about the balance of how far do I push my luck here. I start with a really, really awful deck. I'm going to have to lose some life in order to thin those out and get some better cards. How far do I push that? Minus one life, and that's it. I'm gone. The other problem you have there is that when you do reduce your health and you're teetering on a tightrope, you have less health to spend to draw more cards. So when you face the greatest challenges, you're less flexible. If you get in a bad little run in your deck and you haven't got to those weapons cards or the draw extra card cards, suddenly if you haven't got the health to spend or take a risk, you're not going to be able to get them out and you're not going to be able to be so robust when facing the challenge. Aging cards, like I say, are the challenge that mess you up and that's all you're doing it's a pure deck building game sharpening your deck as the game gets harder attempting to take on the pirates in the end so there you have it that's the rules for friday pretty much a deck building game So the second game I'm going to go over the rules of briefly is Sylvian. This is a 2015 release from Z-Man Games. It's published playtime for around 30 minutes. Again, pretty much accurate. It's listed as one or two player rules, but the two player rules are a bit ropey, so I'd stick to single player with this. And the designer is Shaddy Torbay. Now, Shaddy has designed all the games in the Oniverse, as it's called. It began with Honor Rim, another solo game or two-player game. It's gone into Erbion, Sylveon now, and the upcoming Castellion, which is a one or two player tile layer set in the same universe. In this particular scenario, something called the Ravage, it's pretty much a fire demon, is coming to attack the forest in the Oniverse. And it is your job to defend the forest from this fire demon and his raging elementals. And how that transpires is, it's a tower defence card game. There's going to be four stacks of fire enemies moving across a 4x4 grid, attempting to attack the forest, and you're going to be playing cards, building defences within this grid. Now, you form the grid by laying out, on three sides, four forest cards. They're tree cards, they represent the health of the forest. If they ever all get flipped over to being burned, then you've lost the game. You've got a deck of what's called Sylvan cards, and that's what you're going to be using to defend against the fire. And there are also a deck of Ravage cards. That's what we call the enemy in this. And like I say, you're going to form... Now, I'm going to talk about the base game, because the game comes as a basic game, then there's an advanced game, which we can say is the real game. And then it comes with a couple of expansions, and I'll touch on them all briefly. But starting the base game, you start with 48 Ravage cards, and you create four face-down decks of 12 cards each. There's going to be 12 turns in the game, and each turn... The top card of each deck is going to turn over and you're going to be facing the problems which it gives you. In the base game, there are three different types of cards which are going to flip over. The first one are elementals and they come with a strength of 0 to 3. And you're obviously, when I start talking about your defence cards, that'll make more sense. But they're going to flip over and they're simply going to march across one space at a time, across the forest, to get across the fifth space, which is where your trees are. And if they get there, they're going to damage the health of your forest according to the level of strength of the elemental. 
The healthier forest is a maximum of 12, so if you get a couple of threes coming in there, suddenly you're in big, big trouble. The other two cards which can flip over at this time and make the game slightly more difficult are one of them intensifies the fire and it will turn any elementals which haven't been upgraded in strength they'll make them one stronger twos become threes threes become fours and zeros in fact become fours so they can really up it when you think it's not going too bad because if a zero elemental hits your forest it doesn't make any difference it's like a tiny puff of ash on the wind and suddenly if the intensified card comes out that turns to a four that's as tough an enemy as you can find the second sort of special card you get in the base game is simply speeds up the elementals. It pushes them across one extra space during this turn. If you get a couple of those out at a time, they can really start firing across and attacking what you have built up. In terms of your Sylvan cards, now you have a deck, you draw eight to start with the game, and you're going to draw three more each turn. And they come in three different types. There are fountains. These are what's going to fight the elementals, and they come in strength one to four similar to how the elementals do and if you have a fountain that's stronger than an elemental when the elemental hits it it will extinguish it and the fountain will be fine if an elemental that's stronger than a fountain hits that fountain it's going to eliminate the fountain and the elemental is just going to carry on marching across and if they're of equal strength they wipe each other out so that's the sort of active part of your defense you also get trees now you're trying to plant trees and keep them alive if they get touched by any elemental they're burned, apart from the zero ones. They're burned and they're gone. However, at the end of the game, the power of the trees which you have remained planted in the forest, that's how much health you're going to restore to your forest. And again, in the base game, you start with six health and you need to get back up to 12 in order to be successful. So you do have to plant some trees and protect them. And the third part of your deck are animals. And all animals have got special powers. Now, they might be hedgehogs, and they let you cancel cards from the ravages they're played, or whales, which are in a forest, apparently, and they let you move elementals around. So an elemental that's on a dangerous royal, we've got no defences, you could pop that fella down and push him into one of your fountains and defend yourself that way. It allows you to be a bit more active rather than just passive in what you're doing with your defence. All cards you play have a cost in cards. You have to discard cards in order, in order to play some of your cards, and that's some of the decisions to make in what you're doing and how you're managing your hand. And as that base game, it is an interesting tower defence game. However, once you've mastered that, and I'll say it's not going to take you more than half a dozen games, probably a couple less than that, in fact, to get your head around that all and how it works and what's a good strategy, then you're going to move on to the advanced game. And we're going to bring some extra cards into play. In terms of the Ravage, there's a couple of more cards that came in. They attack your hand of cards, which can be really a pain, because suddenly managing how many cards you have in your hand is very difficult, and you might be trying to keep hold of a good card, and suddenly the Ravage attacks it, and that card's gone. And they also attack your deck, and they'll desiccate your deck, and they'll start taking cards out of your deck. Or you can choose. If you choose, you lose two. If you don't choose, you lose one. And it seems to be made there, as the Ravage suddenly is not just attacking the forest, but attacking what you're trying to do. In terms of what the Sylvans get, well, this is where the game really gets interesting. Now, you get more animals, which gives you more special power cards, like the likes of stags, which will heal the forest mid-game, or squirrels that will let you look at the top couple of cards on each of the stacks attacking you. For the Ravage, now there's 16 cards in each stack, so there's going to be 16 turns to the game as well, by the way. Most importantly, there's a pre-game draft, and this, this is really where it kicks off. You deal out four cards to start four columns, and you choose one of those four cards and you draft it. Then you add one card to each column. 
Then you flip over a card and it tells you column 1, 2, 3 or 4 has gone out of the game. Then you do that four cards, one to each column, and you choose one. Four cards, one to each column. Flip over a card, it tells you column one to four is out of the game. And you are constantly then making choices as to how to build your deck pre-game. Decisions on what animals to keep. You're going to need some fountains. You might need some trees. Maybe you'll go with stags. Who knows? And, and that whole pre-game draft. Now each column can only have a maximum of four cards. So you're not building ridiculous lines of these. And the random element that someone will get taken away from you, every time that happens, pretty much you're losing a card that you want to keep. That really makes the game come alive, and you really start thinking, and you really start planning, and you really start agonising. And like I say, the advanced game is where the real game is. All about managing your own deck. That's how the game works. The Ravage marches across the board right to left. You're desperately trying to fire defences in the way to prevent them from burning down the forest. I will very, very briefly touch on the three expansions which are included within there beyond the advanced game. There's one that brings in betrayal cards into your own deck that clogs your deck. However, it also gives you feat cards which are one-off powers or different ways to win the game. Now, that's an all-sylvan card expansion. There's also the Elements, which is an all-Ravage card expansion, which adds things like an Acid Lake, which means your element skips, the Elemental skips straight across that, or Stone Rain, which will destroy your trees and fountains you put into play. But it also brings in Geezers, which spurt out water and put out all Elementals in a row or a column from where the Geezer is. And the last one is the Ravage itself, which is a little wooden token which sits on a card and protects that card from dying and if it ever managed to march all the way across the board and touches your forest it's an instant lose so lots of ways of mixing up the game lots of ways of playing but just take it back to that advanced game that draft that pre-building your deck that hand management as it marches across really really interesting game and one we're going to enjoy delving into and comparing to Friday and also to Lord of the Rings the card game which I'm going to give you a brief explanation of next So as I said, the last of three games I'm going to explain the rules of is Lord of the Rings The Card Game. It's a living card game for Fantasy Flight games. The designer is Nate French. Published playtime of 60 minutes. Now this one's pretty variable. I find that if I'm doing well, it tends to take longer. And more often than not, I'm not doing so well and it's a bit shorter than that. It came out in 2011, at least the base game did, but as with the living card game format releases constantly coming out for it constantly new content so really an ever-evolving game now this is definitely the most rules dense of the three games so you're probably going to get a bit more of a skim over the top of the rules there's loads of videos out there instructionals if this tweaks your interest if, if i'm hard to think you hadn't heard of it before but maybe you haven't because it has been a huge hit but here we go anyway to give you an overview of how the game plays the idea is that each player, and it's for one or two players, when I solo it, I play two-handed. I play as if I was playing two players, because I just found it absolutely impossible to play with only one set of heroes and one deck. But you are controlling a set of heroes. You can have up to three, and they are represented by a card which has sats, but also you're represented then by a deck of cards. Now, 
in the base game you get preset decks but as with all living card games I think the intention is with this is that you continue to buy expansions and you pre-construct your deck for this game that is you do it before you even start playing the game you decide what comes in and out according to the deck building rules with that deck you're going to be taking on quests that's the whole point now there are lots of different scenarios in the game but they're all quest based and each scenario has got its own rules for how you're going to complete the quests and what challenges you're going to face during the quest but you're trying to get progress tokens onto the quest to get through the two three four stages of the quest in order to complete it now the quest themselves and the enemies if you like are represented by something called an encounter deck the encounter deck is different for every single scenario and in each chapter pack that gets released for lord of the rings you'll find a different scenario in there the encounter deck is built up from different mini decks. Each scenario says, include these, again, three, four mini decks, shuffle them all together, and this will be unique for this particular scenario. So you choose your heroes, and your heroes come from one of four different spheres. They come from spirit, tactics, lore, and leadership. And a hero will have to be off a particular sphere for you to be able to have cards of that sphere within your deck, otherwise you won't be able to pay for them. And... Spirit, for example, is good at questing and, and tactics and leadership, probably a bit better at fighting. Law is quite balanced. And people have different styles of play and like particular spheres. Now, I mostly play with spirit and tactics. I think probably they're the simplest ones. I am absolutely awful at the game, so please don't listen to me in terms of any sort of strategy guide, but just to let you know. The heroes you choose to play with, they have a threat cost. Now... You start off and you set your initial threat style to whatever is the threat cost of all your heroes added together. And during the game, your threat is going to tick along and tick upwards. If it ever hits 50, then you've lost, you're out. If all players hit 50 or more, then they're all out and the players have lost the game. You're also out if all of your heroes die. And the only way to win is by getting all those progress tokens onto those quests. Each of the hero comes with four different things. They've got a quest value, which is going to help you go questing, attack and defense, which is going to help you when it comes to combat, and some sort of special power, usually. Each scenario has a separate setup. At the beginning of the game, you're going to draw six cards, and then you're just going to begin. And I'll just take you through a turn as to how a, a turn goes. Firstly, each hero gets a resource. It's a generic resource token, but when it goes on a hero, it becomes a resource off that hero's sphere. So if I've got Legolas out there, he's a tactics hero, that now becomes a tactics resource. Or Frodo's a spirit hero, he now becomes, that's a, now a spirit resource to be spent on spirit cards or neutral cards. You then can use those resources and they collect from turn to turn. You only get one hero each turn, but that's you, know, you might have six coming each turn. And you collect them and you can save up. But you're going to bring into play allies. Now allies are characters which have very similar attributes as to the heroes they have questing attack and defense and some special powers there are attachments you can attach to allies or heroes and there are events now you can play those at different times during the game there's going to be questing events combat events some way of affecting what's happening in the game for you you can keep those in hand and spend the resources you don't have to spend all your resources at once whenever you want to affect the game you then decide which of your characters to commit to questing and you add up all their questing value you then compare that to enemies in the staging area. When enemies come into play, they don't come out and immediately start fighting you. You also get locations come out. They, they go into an area called the staging area, and they all have a threat value. And you're trying to get more in quest that you've committed to the quest than in the threat value of all the cards in what's called the staging area. 
If you manage to achieve that and have more questing, you will place progress tokens equal to the difference onto the current quest, and that's how you're going to move through the game. However, if the threat is higher than the questing that you've committed to this particular turn, everyone's threat is going to go up by however much you missed out on. Now, you think it might be easy to work out. However, you're going to draw a card per player between committing your characters to quests and resolving what the threat level is. And you're going to get locations, enemies, as I said, and you're also going to get treachery cards which come out which just mess with the game somehow and will do something undoubtedly annoying so you don't know exactly how this is going to go until it all gets resolved once you've resolved the questing you can choose to travel to a location this slows down you completing the quest because you have to complete that location before you complete the quest and it involves putting progress tokens on the location but it takes their threat away up the staging area so you're kind of robbing peter to pay paul they're not going to be ticking up your threat hopefully but they slow you down in, com in completing the quest then you look at what enemies in the staging area, and each player can choose to engage one. And why would you choose to engage one? Because that's kind of the tactical part of which enemies you're going to fight. Because then, each enemy has got a minimum threat level. And if your threat is above that level, that enemy will come and attack you. And you take it in turns, and the first player swaps each turn, but they will come to you and engage you, and they're going to fight you. Depending upon you know how you've planned, this, this really can mess up your plans, but it's part of the game. So that idea that you can choose one each to pick out of those available enemies is where you can get slightly more of control over how that combat's going to go. In terms of combat, each enemy attacks. You choose whether to defend their attack or not by committing a character, hero or ally to that defence. You compare the attack value to the defence value. If the attack value is higher, then the defending character is going to take damage. However, before you resolve that, each attacking enemy gets a card face down, you flip them over. As well as the primary effects on cards, be they an enemy or treachery or a location, they also have shadow effects. And these shadow effects only come into play now when they're played as sort of a support card to the enemy. So it might boost their attack or it, it might make you get rid of uh, an exhausted ally. Or they just have different effects depending upon the game. Generally, if you've chosen not to defend against an attack, what's going to happen then is whatever the damage is, you have to put it on your heroes. But a lot of these shadow cards will say if it's undefended, something even worse happens to you. Definitely something to bear in mind. You're trying to defend all these attacks. The problem you have is if you use a character to defend an attack, now it's your chance to attack back. Obviously they're exhausted. And you're not going to be able to attack back and get rid of these enemies. So do you take the hit? Do you take the damage in order to attack and get rid of some of these enemies? When you choose attack, your characters, you can choose as many as you want to attack whichever enemies are in play. If you've got ranged characters, they can attack the other player's enemies. So there's a little bit of tactics going on there. Again, if your attack is more than their defence, they'll take damage. Each enemy has got a health. And if you kill them, they go in the discard pile and you get rid of them out of the game. The end of each round, everyone's threat level ticks up by one. Then we go again. Draw a card, get resources, play cards, quest, travel if you want to, a fight, and so on and so forth. Coming across all the different cards that that encounter deck is going to throw against you. Your heroes have got individual power, which are very much important in how you choose to play the game. Some of your allies are going to give you powers. Gandalf might pop up. He's a card that's in every deck, pretty much. He comes in, he has a powerful one-off impact and goes away. Like he kind of he does in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Hey, I'm here, I'm awesome, but I'm too busy. I'll go do my iron in. I'll see you again in ten minutes. There you go. Lord of the Rings, the card game. That's how you play it.
Hi, it's Sean here. We'll return you shortly to Ronan's solo gaming extravaganza, but I'm here to quickly tell you about our exciting competition. To celebrate the success of the recent Gen Con, we've joined up with the Dice Tower and Cool Stuff Inc. to offer you a chance to win an initial $50 worth in vouchers for Cool Stuff Inc. And then after that, you'll be placed in a draw to win a $500 voucher. So how do you win this? Well, you've got two choices. We'd like to know what your ideal Gen Con game would be and who would design it. Or, other than the original designer, who would design a reimagining of your favourite game? So if you could send the answers to thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and mark them as Gen Con competition, then we will read out the winners before the end of August and the winner will go into, as I said, the Dice Tower draw for the 500 dollar voucher so once again what would be your ideal gen con release and who would design it or other than the original designer who would design a reimagining of your favorite game we look forward to reading all your entries and don't forget this is in conjunction with the dice tower and cool stuff inc cool stuff in stock So, with all three games, they all have something very similar, in that you are represented by a deck of cards, and the game then is represented by a deck of cards, and you are combating from deck to deck. The game's going to throw challenges at you in the form of cards, and whatever cards you've been able to bring into your deck, you're going to be attempting to face it down. Now, what's interesting to me is the way they do it slightly differently. I'll start with the way the enemies, if you like, operate. If you start with Friday, the enemy doesn't do anything unexpected to you. They come up, they have a value, they tell you how many cards you can get to draw for free, and that value you have to defeat doesn't change. You look at the card and you go, okay, I know what I'm doing. I have to get 14 to defeat these cannibals, or I have to get 2 to swim out to this life raft, whatever it may be, and I know what I'm doing. Static challenge, although it does obviously escalate and provide a sense of pacing and an increasing challenge over the course of the game as you go through the different phases, but I know what to expect. With Sylvian, I have got the elementals which have got a set strength. However, that strength might escalate, and also they might move slightly quicker, and it brings in slightly more of the unexpected for my taste anyway, the sort of unexpected you can kind of control, or you can predict to some degree, or you can attempt to mitigate against. Now when it comes to Lord of the Rings and the encounter deck, we are going off into a whole different realm of, oh my goodness, anything can happen here. A card can come out which can do anything. Can wreck my plans, can... I might have saved up to do something and spent resources on it suddenly that doesn't count anymore I might have worked out to the T exactly what I need to do because resources are tight in that game be it questing points or attack or defense or just getting characters out and then suddenly boom there's a treachery card there's a shadow effect all your plans are blown to bits I'm trying to deal with one hill troll 
a second heel troll's just come out. There is no way I can deal with that. Or all I keep drawing is cruddy goblins and really easy locations. And actually, this has become a bit of a breeze. The variety in how that encounter deck treats you is massively, massively different to the other games. And I think that those three different characteristics will come through in how the games play. Friday, you kind of know what to expect, what you're getting from the hazards. Sylvian mixes it up a little bit and you have to be slightly prepared and it will attack you. And then Lord of the Rings, you just kind of get on the ride and, and go with it. The other really interesting aspect is all of these decks of cards are being prepared in some way, but in slightly different fashion. Friday very much follows a standard deck building pattern. I have a resource, it happens to be attack in this case, I can spend that resource and if I spend enough I will get a good card. Or if I choose to spend less I will get a less good card. And I guess the bit where it comes in is that you're much more deck deconstructing than you do in many games. You start with that awful hand with loads of minus one cards and that life as the vital currency to how much do I spend because if I keep these minus one cards I'm going to go nowhere. Once I hit yellow and red challenges I'm not going to be able to defeat them. So that deconstruction is really interesting and it's a positive thing you're doing. You're taking control of that. When it comes to Sylvian firstly we'll talk about the deck deconstruction. It's all done to you. It's very much a negative thing. The Ravage is attacking your deck. It's stinning it out. Every time you get to the bottom of your deck you then lose more cards. It desiccates all by itself. You, you lose the random top card from the top of your deck. And then you go through again. And the game is still in your deck as you go through. So you get to the bottom quicker. There's a card called the Owl. Which allows you to draw more cards. In the base game it's really handy. Because more cards is great. Now you're going through your deck too quickly. So you're losing more cards. And the deconstruction is a bit more of an active issue. And certainly not as positive as it is in Friday. The other aspect and if you've listened to us, you'll know I love card drafting. The card draft in the beginning of the advanced game of Sylvian, really, really interesting. Really pressurised. Really, oh, do I take these four mediocre cards because I need to buff up my deck a bit? Or do I take that one or two cards, which I think might be more useful by themselves? Yeah, jeez, whichever one I go for, when I flip over that forest card and it tells me which column is dead... Oh, you know, you, you're always going to feel... Sometimes you feel, oh, I got lucky there. Oh, no, I made the wrong decision. And then you're going to have to play for the next half an hour with the consequences of those decisions. And you're going to have to... Oh, wow, did I have enough fountains? Maybe I ignore the fountains trying to go for the special animal powers. Or maybe those animal powers weren't as useful as the, I thought they were because they were handy at a particular time last time. Love that card drafting aspect and, and building your deck on the go and the fact that your deck will be different in every single game. Lord of the Rings, the card game. Pre-building your deck is the absolute heart of this game. When you buy the base game, the decks are pre-built for you and it pretty much feels like you're being led around by the nose. You're just kind of doing what you're told and you go, yeah, okay, I'll pull some cards, this is what they do, I have no power over this. You have to pre-build your deck according to the scenario you're taking on in order to feel like you have any control. Because you are getting very few cards from your deck in most games. You won't get through half your deck probably in each game. So therefore the combinations you're making are very limited. And therefore how you can expect to rise to the challenges facing you is very different. And that sense of control only comes when you have enough cards to start building a deck. And start making decisions and culling and going, no I don't want that one for this. 
we're not fighting a lot of monsters in this, I need to progress quicker. Or, well, there's some real big bad monsters in here, I need more beyonds, more whatever it might be, t- to help me tackle that particular challenge. It requires much more investment, which we're definitely going to talk about as we go into the categories in a minute. But that is the heart of the game. Actually playing the game, it does remind me a bit of Magic, in that when I feel like when I play Magic, and again, no, certainly no expert Magic player, I kind of ride in the wave, and sometimes my deck will work, and sometimes it won't. Same thing with Lord of the Rings. But if you don't enjoy that pre-game deck construction, I just don't think this is the game for you. So, there you go. Three different approaches on how the enemies treat you, but also how you prepare to face the enemies in these games. And I like the subtle differences in them. They all kind of scratch a different itch. And what I'm going to do now is just go through some different categories, rate these games, rank them a little, come up with an overall ranking, and hopefully you'll see that there are pros and cons to each of the games, and maybe you'll find one that fits your style. So, Sean may not be here with me, but he's certainly not forgotten. So, in his honour, the first category I'm going to look at is components and artwork. What do the games look like? For Friday, you simply get three mats, some cards and some tokens to represent your life. It looks like a nice, solid euro in a small box. It's from Rio Grande, everything's really well made. In terms of the artwork... Robinson's kind of cartoony on the cards. Everything's really green. They do the job, but I very rarely look at the artwork, to be honest with you. There's nothing striking. It's not bad. It doesn't put me off the game, but it also doesn't draw me in. It's not a visually stunning game, but I think, as will be my summary on a few of these categories with Friday, it's solid, it's sturdy, it does the job, the cards are good quality, it's nice enough. Sylvian is a bit more of a curate's egg of a game. It's beautifully presented, okay? When you open the box, there's actual sheaths that you have to open up a fire and another one a fire and then the forest before you even get to the rule book. And the rule book is all really nicely, kind of almost artfully presented. And the insert, I know it sounds weird, but it's kind of green and felty. It's really nice. It's obviously custom just for this game there's a custom hole there just for the Ravage token and it just comes across as a game that's been lovingly beautifully created in terms of the art style itself, the art style is reminiscent of the rest of the Oniverse it's kind of a very unusual obviously hand drawn, not realistic stylized kind of artwork if you've seen on a rim or, or look up Sylvia on Urbion online you'll kind of see what I'm talking about I have kind of sniffed around on a rim for a long time as happens I actually got it in trade this week but I would say the artwork is one of the reasons I hadn't actually gone for it and made the plunge I just I don't find it that attractive and I was a bit worried about it when I started with Sylvian and as it turns out the artwork is a bit weird. I'm not sure it is that helpful. But the presentation is all good. And everything is very clear. And the in-game information I need is not obscured by the artwork. So the kind of multicoloured patchworky 
artwork. I could definitely take it or leave it. But what it does do, I will say, is it creates an ambience around the game. I'm definitely, when I'm sitting down and I open that box up and I get this artwork, I know I'm playing Sylveon. It kind of makes it a bit more of an experience, if you like. When you compare the other two, though, when the third game in the category is by Fancy Flight Games and you're looking at components and artwork, you kind of got a pre-race favourite going on there. They are amazing at making games. And when it comes to the Lord of the Rings card game, the artwork is off the scale. It is incredible. Every card looks great. The encounter cards look dark and menacing and the brown lands look dreary and Gollum looks fantastic. Gandalf looks great. Legolas has got brown hair for some reason. I think that's going to put a few people off. But the dwarfs look like dwarfs. They don't look cartoony. They they look like they could be real, if you like. And that's how I like my Lord of the Rings. I'm a bit of an old-fashioned Lord of the Rings fan. I like it to be, stupid as it sounds, based in reality. You know, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief goes on around any this sort of fancy or sci-fi work. Don't make it worse by making it look a bit silly. It kind of puts me off. Fancy Flight, I mean, the components, obviously, the tokens are all lovely. The dials for the threat, they just work. They look great, got the eye on them. Just, yeah, how many Fancy Flight games have I bought just because it's by Fancy Flight? And just because it's a pleasure to look at and feel and touch and enjoy. It's another absolute massive hit from them again. In terms of presentation, Lord of the Rings, the card game, is just top-notch. So going on from first impressions when you open the boxes and the components and what the game looks like, I think the next thing I want to talk about is accessibility. How easy are they to get on the table and get playing and maybe for players newer to the hobby, how quickly are you going to get into these games? Again, starting with Friday. Well, straight off, Friday is the most accessible. You don't even need to know the cards. You don't need to look at the deck. There's a setup leaflet to describe the rule book. It's tiny. It's just probably 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters each page. A couple of pages of rules, and you're straight in and playing. It's got four levels of challenge to the game. Even the intro game is quite challenging, but easy to play. Flip two cards, choose one, flip a couple of cards, decide whether to push your luck, move on. Rinse and repeat. This game, once you buy it, you will be playing within five minutes. The special powers you get when you gain the hazard cards into your deck and they become benefits to you are all fully explanatory. There is a quick guide in there in case you need it as to what you do with them. The timings of them doesn't matter because the timing is always down to you. You decide whether to do it or not. In terms of looking for a solo game to get you going, to kind of see how you like solo games, see if you like the idea of this card interaction and challenging yourself, great introductory solo card game. In terms of Sylvian, the presentation's great, but the rulebook maybe isn't laid out perfectly. It's it's not quite as clear as it could be. There's a little bit of flicking back and forth. It introduces the base game in the first 10 pages or so and then it says but for what these cards do you need to go to page 22 and then you're kind of skipping through all the advanced game pages and then some other things and then when you get there it explains all the cards not just the cards you need it might sound silly but it's not quite as smooth as it could be in terms of learning the game and the funny thing is about a solo game I've found that they are more prone to rules errors 
than multiplayer games because it's only your opinion. It's your interpretation of what those rules say and if you interpret it wrong and then start playing, there's no one there to go, oh, is that right? Or that's not how I play it? Or can I correct it? And I always have that little doubt in my mind actually when I'm playing a solo game. Am I playing this right? And the drafting that I love so much in Sylvian, I actually did it wrong the first time. And I got my deck, I looked at it and went, that didn't seem quite hard enough to draft. I was laying out columns of four and drafting a whole column at once. Anyway, I worked it out in the end. It is kind of explained in the rule book, but again, not as clear as it could be. The base game they've put in there to help you get into it is a real good idea. I think this is a game that I will say, play the base game. Play it two or three times. Do you know, play it until you beat it. And that probably three games in maybe I hear from most people you can beat the base game and then you will have that solid grounding to go on and be able to start making decisions for the draft very smart move they did putting that in I think if you're a gamer you're experienced you'll be able to pick up Sylvia no problem if you're newer to the hobby stick with it a little bit maybe watch some of the videos online and and it's really not that complicated they just made it tiny the rule book a little bit out a little bit out Lord of the Rings the card game. You're probably expecting me to say this is a nightmare to learn. Surprisingly, I didn't find it that hard to learn at all. It's pretty simple what you do. Draw a card, get a resource on each hero, lay out cards, quest, travel, fight. Rinse and repeat. There's not too many components. There's not too many moving parts. In terms of learning the rules, it's actually okay. I will say get Universal Heads Guide, as I say, for lots of games, especially Fantasy Flight games, available on BGG. Go there, download it, print it out. It's got a layout of the turn, and it makes it so much easier. I know they print the breakdown of turns in their LCG rulebooks for tournament play with every single chance to intercept and what can be done and what response can be done. Please, please put that elsewhere. Just give a simple layout of a simple turn. You can't, can you even do tournament play in Lord of the Rings? Anyway... The one thing I will say about Lord of the Rings is it's very hard to play well. I'm going to get on to the replayability and what have you, but that, I think, is the biggest barrier to entry. Rather than the rules, it's that it can be frustrating. I tried to play it just with one set of heroes. found it incredibly difficult. Tried to play it with fewer than the three heroes you're allowed. found it incredibly difficult. Now, they present these as options. Maybe they are options. I mean, I perfectly hold my hands up. I'm pretty bad at this game. I often, often fail. Might have a 25% success rate, maybe. But I found that those other options, they give you a few heroes. And, and even, you know, mixing the spheres with your deck, I just found it very hard to do that well. I've got as far as building single sphere decks poorly in a lot of plays. <laughs> I've played this quite a bit. And we'll get on more to my relationship with the game. But I find Friday very accessible. Sylvian, pretty accessible. Lord of the Rings, actually also pretty accessible, but hard to do well at. So, I've told you how accessible I think each game is for your first play. How about extra plays? How replayable is each of the three games? They all have different levels of challenge. They all attempt to bring in sort of a development as you play. How successful are they? Friday. Friday has got four modes of play. You start off and you don't have any of the aging cards in your deck. And on the second level you put an aging card in your deck. 
On the third level, you put a very stupid minus three card into the agent deck, which makes it harder. And the fourth level, you start with only 18 life rather than 20 life. Now, these might sound like small differences. They are small differences. They are small tweaks in the difficulty in gameplay. They are clever. They do make it more challenging. But you're still playing exactly the same game, just with slightly a worse start or slightly poorer resources. It doesn't vary a lot. How replayable is it? I will get the itch to play Friday every few months and I'll get it out and I'll play between maybe two to four games in that week and I'm done. That's cool, goes back in the cupboard, happy to have it. In a few months time I'll get the itch again and I'll get it out and I'll play it and I'll, oh yeah, cool, cool, I remember this now. You learn how to play it a bit, you learn to be a little bit smarter but you don't hugely adapt your style of play. It's a game you get better at. Is there large areas to explore? Not really. In terms of Sylvian, the base game teaches you and you kind of start getting an idea and you get a strategy and you realise, oh yeah, that's what I should be doing. It is a tower defence game, I've got to get some defences up. Then you move on to the advanced game and it is such a huge development in just adding in a few cards. Such a change in the way you have to think. A change in how you have to prepare changing the way you read what's going on with the deck that it really is almost like playing a different game it's that much of a difference in how you have to approach it to be successful really ups the intensity when you've got that pre-game drafting obviously every game is then going to be different with Friday the same cards will come out in a different order with Sylvian you'll be playing with completely different cards although the Ravage will be the same then you've got the two expansions you can add in with the feats and the betrayal cards and the geographical features and the geezers. And then you've got the Ravage itself. Lots and lots to explore in the game. The only thing is, I'll say is, if you play the game and you don't enjoy the idea of this fire marching across and you try and do something about it, it it's not going to change it up hugely. But then a game is a game. You like a game or you don't. In terms of replayability, for a small box, I think there are tons and tons in there for Sylvia and it's one of the main selling points for it for me Lord of the Rings wow this is again it's like the difficult one to get a hold of the game's all about pre-building as, as I said in the accessibility section there pretty much impossible to do until you start buying expansions in terms of the base game the replayability in there there are three different scenarios you have four different decks you can start exploring it but the luck of the draw is really huge and you really don't have that control. So it's all about are you willing to explore the game system, invest in it, buy all the cards, half of which you may never use in fact, dig into it, learn each scenario, optimise your deck, get the next scenario, then spend time outside, you know, play the game several times, learn what's good and bad about your deck with regards to the scenario and the scenario is going to be different every time because it can be quite a hefty encounter deck that comes out and you're going to be seeing different cards at different times and trying to work out what works and what doesn't and if I take those cards out put those cards in will that help if you enjoy and are willing to invest that amount of time into it the replayability in the Lord of the Rings system is obviously absolutely huge what I find is though that it's almost forced replayability you have to play it again and again and again to get anything out of it. Trying to play this casually just won't work. 
because of the variety in each game, because you know you can get really smashed early by encounter cards coming out, or you can save your resources to buy a big card, and then one shadow effect or one treachery card will just get rid of that card, and then what you've been trying to do for the last ten minutes gone down the drain, or because uh, the, sh- the shadow cards will attack you, or you'll you'll get two hill trolls out at once, which are almost yeah really difficult to defeat, and therefore. This particular iteration of this scenario has now become massively more difficult than the last iteration of this scenario I just played. So, very hard to judge my deck on this. So, every deck must be played multiple times against the same scenario to judge it. If you buy the cards, hugely replayable. For me, in order to even out the luck, I feel like you're forced to play it again and again and again and again and again. And is that the replayability that I really want? As you'll find, I've got a difficult relationship with Lord of the Rings, the card game. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just want to buy a game and have that game be itself. So, I'm going to go for the best replayability, Sylvian. Unless you're willing to take a lifestyle game on like Lord of the Rings, in which case, hundreds, thousands of hours of fun out of the whole system, if you're willing to put into it. So given what you get in the box, given how accessible these games are, given how much replayability you have, are you getting value for money in them? So Friday's available for roughly £15. You can get it a tiny bit cheaper over in the UK here. In terms of components, you know, that's not so bad. You get the mats, you get the 22 life tokens, you get a deck of cards, and they're kind of unusual shape and size as well, which is, you know, <laughs> unusual card shape, interesting. In terms of purely components, sure, you know, it's an inexpensive game. I think the only problem I have, and this ties in components, accessibility and replayability, is that this is the game that suffers most for being a solo game. It's the game that's tied itself most to traditional deck builders, and I know people like to say deck builders are solo games. I don't think they are. I play lots and lots of Dominion, as you've heard, I enjoy the interaction, I enjoy seeing what other players are doing, I enjoy seeing what they're taking. In deck builders which have player interaction in them, stuff like maybe even DC, even though it's very simple, or from the, the card drafting in Core Worlds as to what people are taking, how they're building their decks, I, I find a lot of enjoyment even in that light interaction between players. And Friday doesn't have it, so there's not a lot of variety. So, I can't complain. For £15, you're getting a really solid game. In terms of value for money, though, I think when you look at Sylvian, although you don't get the mats of tokens, you just get the cards, but you get probably over 150 cards in there. And the way it's presented, and for the experience it gives you, I feel like for that extra few pounds, Sylvian is the winner in terms of that. And gameplay-wise, there's your value for money. Lord of the Rings, last and most complicated again. The £30 base set, I just found frustrating. I just found, look, I'm not enjoying this. I don't have any control. I need to build my deck. When I first played this, and I really anticipated it, and I I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, but certainly I used to do a geek list about my biggest disappointment of the year was on there. And Lord of the Rings, the card game, for 2011 was my biggest disappointment. And I rated it a 3. So why am I still talking about it? Because I cannot let it go. It's like that sore tooth you keep nagging away at. I got rid of it, 
ended up back with a copy again, then ended up buying the whole first cycle of expansions and the first big expansion, Kazadoom, Doom, just to get some cards to attempt to build my decks with to see, no, maybe I, maybe I didn't give enough of a chance. Maybe I need to build a deck. But what I've got now is I've got a card game that I spent over £100 on and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. And I'm still rubbish at it. And I still feel like I've got to play it. Yeah, I've played it probably a couple of dozen times. And I'm still a bit lost. And very much haven't got much closer to optimising my deck or, or decks or, or seeing which way to take them. So that kind of sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like I've got loads and loads to explore. It's how much I'm enjoying that process. Again, and I'm harping on about it due to the luck factor. Very hard for me. And I, I like to be able to see if what I'm doing is working and it's such a convoluted process to see that I, it's hard for me to tell if I've got value for money look I'm still playing it I'm still taking on the challenge I'm still using all four spheres like I say mostly red and blue but whatever I think one thing I have to mention in terms of value for money is that in other living card games you can see an expansion pack that you like and go oh I'd like the cards out of that and buy them what they did here is each scenario you get in each small chapter pack requires a mini deck of cards that's only in the large expansion at the beginning. So the first cycle, the mini set of cards you require for the encounter deck is in the base set. For the second cycle of packs, it was in the Khazad Doom bigger expansion. So you had to buy that in order for any of the following scenarios to work. Ah, just things like that really <laughs> it kind of makes me stop saying it's not value for money because what if I see a scenario that's a particular story or setting that I really enjoy from the whole Middle Earth milieu and then I can't get it because I have to get Heirs of Numenor or whatever the major expansion is that, that goes with it and instead of spending £11 to play that one scenario I now have to spend £40 that's kind of irritating that grates on me a little bit value for money for Lord of the Rings um, I think it's got to be a pass. I don't know. I, I, I've got so many unresolved issues with this game. Yes, because for all the money I spent, I've got so many options and so many scenarios. I guess I could just play this game hundreds of times with what I have. But the problem being, and it might be my personal issue, is I've got the disorder that, yeah, but I want to see what's in the next pack and... And maybe if this, this build's not working, in that pack it's got the cards that will make this build work. And, you know, that base set is definitely a gateway drug. I'm going to go Sylvian value for money. So I've kind of gone through some of the tangibles if you like of each of the three games the accessibility and value and all the rest of it but whenever you're judging a game there's always that something else whether it be the theme for you the fun factor is probably the most important thing that just the experience you have when playing and it's very important for this pit fight i think to just consider the personal issues to me so whether they ring true for you or not i'm not sure i'm just going to tell you what my almost illogical thoughts on the game are before I head on to my verdict and tell you which my favourite is. So, Friday. The theme is pretty thin in Friday. I said about the artwork, I don't often look at the artwork. And I, 
don't really feel like I'm helping Robertson Crusoe. Having the hazards and benefits on one card is very strange when it comes to theming. I guess it's an experience which you have encountered, and if you do it successfully, you learn from it, and you gain something, or you, maybe you kill the cannibals and steal their weapons. Maybe that's how it works. Or you find the books that help you to go through your deck and what have you. Or actually, they reduce the phase by one. I love the books card. The ageing, I think, is the best part of theming in the game. I really like that. That yeah, Time goes on, you're getting worn down by the environment, and it does mess up your deck, and it thematically and mechanically works really well. And I, it's one of the hooks I really enjoy about the game. The fun really comes in the game in the tension in the card draw. It's when I have five cards I can draw... I know I've got a couple of aging cards left in there I haven't been able to get rid of, but I've also got some good cards. What's this last free card I've got? Is it going to be really good? Is it going to be really bad? Is it going to get me out of a hole? How low is my life? Am I really struggling here? But to me, I don't feel like I'm overcoming a hazard. I feel like I'm solving a puzzle. Again, I don't wish this to come across as too negative. I enjoy all three games. But in terms of sort of the fun X Factor for Friday... It's not a wow, it's not, oh yeah, Friday, that's going to be a good giggle, I'm going to really get into this. It's going to be a, oh cool, yeah, Friday, that's, you know, I want to play something, but I don't want to invest too much. It tends to draw me in more than I think when I start playing it. I do start caring, so it works on one level, but I'm not really thinking of the hazards as hazards. So, oh, Friday, I, I really enjoy it in limited doses. <laughs> Sylvian, the whole theming and the presentation doesn't excite me. These sort of animals are really, really stretching it. The whales that come along and move fire elementals, or the doves that let you just ignore a whole round of fire, or you've got squirrels that can see the future. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Doesn't exactly pull me in. And yet, I end up calling most of the cards by their names, obviously in my head, unless I'm talking out loud while I'm playing, which I might be, who knows, there's never anyone else there. And... When you get an intensify card, it it will cause me to groan. I will like, oh, this is the wrong time for that to happen. And I do feel like I am fighting against something that's advancing across. And I do call it the forest. And I am thinking about healing it. I'm less mechanical and mathy and puzzly than I am in Friday. I'm much more in the story, almost despite the presentation of the theme. I think it's the I do think it's the gameplay that pulls me in there. I find this game stressful fun. I'll find myself sort of more often smiling or groaning or reacting or putting my hands up in the air when I'm playing this. Again, even though I'm by myself. And it's a bit more of a visceral experience. Maybe it is because it's more colourful. Maybe it, is, it just creates an ambience around the game, like I say, which is quite unique. And it has got that fun factor. For Lord of the Rings, I mean, the theme and the presentation and the potential of it all to be a thematic Tolkien experience for a Tolkien fan like me is huge. There is so much there. There are, there are so many characters that are sort of mentioned in passing or from the history, the unfinished tales, the Silmarillion wherever it may be and mentions of lands and what have you from outside the, the, the major plot of Lord of the Rings the combos, when you feel like you've put a combo into your deck and then you put it off, it does feel fantastic you do go, I knew those eagles would work together or 
I'll make you a Rohan ally and then use this card which taps you and then wakes you up and then I can quest and then boom, yes, I've done it. Real sense of satisfaction. The challenge, however, in the base set, I think, climbs too steeply and is quite off-putting. You get three scenarios. The first one's doable. I think the challenge level is like three out of nine. And then it jumps. Now, I can't remember and I probably should have written it down, but I think it's to like a six or seven, maybe, out of nine, when you're trying to get along the Anduin. I've tried that quest many, many times. And again, I'm probably on a 20% success rate. And for the third one in the base set, never forget about it. I've just moved on to the scenario quests because they they all come with a rating of how difficult they are. And I find that going to the ones that are fours and fives are just more fun. Maybe it is my level. I know that there's a whole production of nightmare decks to make the game harder. Maybe when you've got the cards which come out later on, that's, that's what I'm going to think because I can't, I couldn't cope. I genuinely couldn't cope if it was any harder. I could barely cope as it is. Am I having fun? Well, when it works, I'm having fun. When you don't get crazy spikes or lulls in difficulty. I feel like maybe if those encounter decks were graded, so you're getting level 1 and level 2 and level 3 within the scenario, maybe something like that. Like you do with Thunderstone when you play the epic variant. You put the easier monsters on top and the more difficult monsters down the bottom. And God, that improves that game so, so much. The epic variant does, but the grading of the monsters does as well. Or the way they've done it in Legendary Encounters, which you talked about, whereby... Although you've got the drone deck, which we mix throughout, but it's level 1, 2, 3 encounters and the game escalates... Well, Lord of the Rings benefit from something like that so that I'm definitely not getting the two toughest monsters next to each other or I'm not getting loads of cards with high threat early on which means I'm having to either spend all my characters questing which means I'm then going to get beaten up by every crow that flies along or I don't spend the questing and my threat levels just go through the roof so everything in the staging area just carries on attacking me don't know Again, maybe I just need to get better. Maybe it's as simple as that and that's definitely a possibility. In terms of fun, I think some games of it have been the most fun of all of these three games. I could point to them as highlights, and I guess that's kind of a, you know, an thrash thing, isn't it? An experience. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Some of them have been real. Oh, that was great. That was close. We pulled off a great combo to, to kill that Marshaller, and oh, yeah, but then that you know, Orc Lieutenant turned up, and we really had to... When I say we, because I pretend I'm playing two players. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we really had to work together, left hand, right hand, to to pull something off there. Oh, X Factor. Yeah, it has it sometimes. It's like the mercurial player. It's like the, the genius that doesn't always produce the great works of art. It can and it can't. Definitely a roller coaster off a game. Gives you the highs and gives you the lows. So we get on to the verdict for this pit fight between Friday Sylvian and Lord of the Rings as my under an hour card game solo game of choice. Well, to be honest, they all are. I play them all regularly. I've had Friday since it came out in 2011. I've had Lord of the Rings on and off for as long as that. And Sylvian, yeah, it's kind of the new hotness in the last few months, but I find myself coming back to it and... For me, I think it's going to stick around. So this was a positive pit fight. I like all of these games. I think I'm going to put third Friday, and I don't know if that's a surprise. Still a good game. 
really solid, fun, but probably less ambitious than the others, and achieves exactly what it set out to do. You know, solo deck building, it, it does it, it does it well. Next has got to be Lord of the Rings, the game I love to hate. As you've probably got from what I've said, forget about buying the base game. If you think you're going to spend £30 and have an enjoyable game here, you're wrong. If you're going to buy it, if you like the idea, if you like the idea of the talking theme, of you don't mind kind of the variable difficulty, you, you like the thought of the deck building, stick £100, go buy the base game and the first cycle at least, and then explore the game. And then decide from there whether you like it or not. And and make it £100 you can write off. Because there are fanatic fans of this. People who absolutely enjoy it and take it on board and, and play it to death. And you know, good luck to them. I'm glad. I'm glad they're good enough to need those Nightmare decks. Brilliant. In terms of approachability, you know, Sean and I have been knocking around for quite some time. Doing a special LCG pit fight. Because we've played a few off them. But we never got around to it. Because... In order to do full justification to an LCG, you've got to go through a cycle or two. It's a big investment, big investment of time, and we just didn't think it would be fair to them. I mean, I could do it with Game of Thrones, the first edition, because I've many, many expansions and played that game a lot. I could do it to Lord of the Rings, to be honest with you now. But we played Star Wars and we realised this base game is, is just useless. Unless you expand it, it's no use. Netrunner was probably the best LCG-based game we tried. And this has turned into sort of a, a mini-LCG pit fight for some reason. Sorry, Sean. And even that one, we felt like, yeah, this base game's great. got lots of fun out of it. But I'd want to buy all the other cards. And it's almost which one do you choose? For me, I've got Lord of the Rings going. I've got so many cards and so many scenarios. I think I may be done with it, although I may be speaking too soon. I'm diving into Game of Thrones 2nd Edition. No surprise, I'm such a big fan of the 1st Edition. Some of our contributors are diving in with me, and I think that's one I'm going to explore. And it really does seem to be one of those games that, look, if you play one or two of these sorts of games, that's where you can keep going at once. In my opinion, anyway, look, it depends how much gaming time you have. If you want to invest in Lord of the Rings, go for it. For me, I'm going to enjoy the cards I have, which are plenty out of my first cycle investment. And the winner... Maybe call it Carl to the New, maybe because it's fresh. I think because it hits the best ground between the two of them in terms of accessibility, replayability, all the things I've covered, it's Sylveon. It has inspired me to pick up Honor Him in trade. It's something I can really see myself delving into. It's something I think I can enjoy playing with my oldest daughter. Just not the two-player rules, so I don't like them. But just one player, one hand, deciding what to do, how to draft, what to bring in between us. It's an enjoyable, fun experience, which is very challenging, but doesn't get frustrating, which is an incredibly fine balancing act to pull off, and it does it admirably, and really, really, my favourite solo game so far, Sylvian. So there you go, you got our first and hopefully only ever solo episode of the Game Pit. I will admit it has not been as much fun as when I have the big fella alongside me. (laughs) I have somewhat missed someone to bounce my ideas off. 
I hope you enjoyed it for what it is anyway. It was uh, just an experiment and we really felt like we really, really needed to get some content out to you to let you know. We haven't given up. We haven't faded away. We're still as eager as ever to do the podcast, even though, I mean, even at the best of times, we're not that regular. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening to me for the past however long it's been. Sean will be back soon. Uh, you heard from him in the middle of the episode don't forget to end this competition. You do not have long. We have to close it at that date. We've got to get the name to Tom for the big grand draw, which he's going to do live or something. We Once we know what he's doing with that, we will tweet it out over our Twitter account. Again, thank you. Thanks for all the kind comments while we've been gone. Thanks for all the concern. Everything's cool. We're back. It's going to be fine from here on in. We have got reviews to come to you very soon. The four we promised before, Fallen, Galaxy of Trian, Sherlock Holmes and the Gates of Liang. We are preparing our Essen treasure hunts. We're looking at all those releases. We've got some new Gen Con releases have come in, so we're going to be playing those. Lots to come. Stick with us. So, how can you get hold of us? Email us, thegamepitpodcast.gmail.com. Follow us at Twitter, GamePitPodcast podcast we have got a facebook page we have also got a board game geek guild if you want to chat about solo games or anything i've mentioned in this episode lcgs my strange relationship with all the rings the car game why i've spent so much money on a game i actually only rate a six out of ten i don't know i can't explain it chat to me over there on bgg we can talk about it we are members of the dice tower network and very happy we are to be so at DiceTowerNetwork.com, you will find lots and lots of fantastic gaming podcasts to suit every single taste. Head over there, enjoy them. I listen to many of them. We are on 2d6.org, where you can go for the best in audio, visual and written gaming content. We are now available on Stitcher. We are on iTunes. We have always been hosted on Podbean. And thank you and we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Music. Bye.